0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, we have to maybe remind some folks that we are staunch conservatives Yet somehow Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi are both ending up in the good martini this week, and it's both on the same issue. It's related to the Democratic push for court packing. Biden announced this commission last week that's going to look at uh, expansion of the Supreme Court, maybe term limits or seniority age, perhaps. We don't know exactly all that's going to be considered. And kind of the consensus that we came to and you articulated well was that, well, this is a a stupid idea that a lot of people in the Democratic base want. So Biden's going to create this commission. It's going to die there and then we'll be done with the issue. Well, that memo didn't get to three members of the House Democratic Caucus, including the House Judiciary Committee Chairman, Jerry Nadler, Hank Johnson of Georgia, who is most famous for back during the Bush administration, asking military leaders if Guam was going to tip over if they had too many uh, uh, ships there. So look it up. It really happened. And then there's this freshman uh, congressman from New York named Mondaire Jones who's part of this. And Jim, he turned us into a successful profits because he literally tweeted out yesterday, Supreme Court expansion is infrastructure. So uh, we laughed about that being the case, uh, but he actually said that. But Nancy Pelosi is bringing a giant bucket of cold water to this, at least for the moment. NBC News Alex Moe reporting, quote, Speaker Pelosi does not support the Chairman Nadler bill to expand the Supreme Court by four seats. Quote, I have no plans to bring it to the floor, which is wiggly. I have no plans to bring it to the floor. She is, however, supportive of the Biden commission on this, so I don't know if she's just waiting for a time. Uh, that this gets more popular, or or what is happening here. So I don't trust Nancy Pelosi at all, but the fact that it's not getting onto the agenda, at least in the imminent future, is, uh, is good news, and we'll take it. But uh, Jim, the fact that the Democrats didn't just let this die in the special commission is staggering.
1: Yeah, so this is one of those things where news that earlier in the morning very well could have been our bad martini turns into our good martini, with Nancy Pelosi appearing to throw some cold water on this idea. Where you know the entire morning, Joel today is about you know somewhat tongue in cheek saying how can you disregard Ruth Bader Ginsburg's wishes, which we heard of course during the opening of the Supreme Court seat uh, last fall, you know. But look, she she spoke on this, and I think she's right on this. I think Breyer is correct on this, and I think like Ginsburg, you look back at that interview from July 2019. Oh, by the way, there's some schmo on Twitter who said that uh, we can't know what she would think now. I don't think she would have changed her mind on this, but uh, you know she's pretty clear back in July, 2019. But she makes an interesting point that like, the Supreme Court doesn't have its own army, right? It doesn't have its own uh, people to enforce the rulings. And so it's, we, we just had since Marbury versus Madison, this attitude of, well, if you, you know, if you don't like a law and you think it violates the constitution, you fight it through the courts, it gets all the way up to the Supreme Court. You make your argument about why that law is unconstitutional. Somebody else makes the argument of why that law is constitutional and the justices rule. And whether it's five to four or whether it's nine to zero, if it comes out that way, well, then that's that. If they say a law is unconstitutional, by golly, it is unconstitutional and there's nobody else to appeal it to. Uh, it is the highest court in the land. And you you know—you can always go back and try to rewrite the law and try to make it in a way that lines up with the constitution and where it wouldn't lose a challenge to, at the Supreme Court. But by and large, the, the Supreme Court, there's a wide bipartisan consensus that the Supreme Court gets the final say. Uh, by the way, I should point out that there are a few constitutional scholars, many of whom are on the right, um, who argue that, no, this is not the case. But we've come to think of as judicial supremacy is not really what the founders intended. And that actually this has really been a trend only in the last couple of decades. It doesn't go all the way back to the founding. Um, And it's an interesting theory, but I think we have to deal with the state of the judiciary as it is. We cannot really deal with, well, if we had taken this different course back in the 1800s, it would have changed completely. Well, the Supreme Court is what the Supreme Court is today. Which by the way is the way everybody left, right, and center needs to think about these things. But it's conceivable someday we will have a president or a majority in Congress, where you know the Supreme Court says, "Nope, sorry, that law you want you just enacted is unconstitutional. It violates First Amendment, Second Amendment, you know, any, any, any one of those things, Fourth Amendment." And either the president or the Congress could say, "You know what? We don't think you decided this correctly. I'm ignoring you. What are you going to do about it?" Right. And the only thing that would be able to overcome one of the branches of government just kind of giving the middle finger and deciding to. Uh, ignore the c- checks and balances in the Constitution. Are the other two branches of government teaming up <laughs> to overdeal with that other branch, or the American people saying, no, that is a violation of your oath? You be- took an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. And if some president or Congress said, yeah, I don't care what the Supreme Court says, I'm going to keep this law in place, uh, that would create a constitutional crisis and that would be a violation of the oath. And that person probably should be removed from office at the first opportunity. Um, but what's, what Ruth Bader Ginsburg lays out there is like this widespread public faith that the Supreme Court, even if you don't always like their decisions, is legitimate and it is fair and it does give everybody a fair hearing. And then when it rules, it has the final say. That's the only thing keeping our system going, right? That is the basis of the consent of the governed. And if you add four justices based on the key, the important principle of we want to win more, Then it undermines everybody's faith in the system and it turns the Supreme Court into this uh, just a bunch of partisan knuckleheads who are trying to do this. And oh, by the way, then the next side's going to do it. And as I said yesterday, eventually you have to start holding Supreme Court hearings in the uh, in the basketball arena in downtown D.C. because they can add so many justices. I am glad that Nancy Pelosi has said we're not going ahead with this and this is going nowhere. I do find it kind of almost comically fascinating that the Democrats have now managed to get the worst of both worlds. And you kind of wonder, do they talk to each other? I mean, if you're if you're Jerry Nadler, don't you feel a certain obligation to say, uh, oh, way, Nancy, uh, Madam Speaker, we are we're gonna we want to uh, introduce legislation to do this. And give her a heads up, let her weigh in, because she would say, no, don't do this. You know, where Biden has announced his commission. Let's see what they say. If they give it the thumbs up, fine. If they don't, this is going to go nowhere, and I myself don't think this is a good idea. Now Democrats have created a situation where they announced it, and folks on the right will be justifiably up in arms about that, as seeing we finally have a right-centered, uh, a, a right-of-center Supreme Court majority, and now they want to blow up the Supreme Court and add, you know, get up to, to many more justices just so that their side can keep winning. They're always changing the rules. They never agree to anything. They can't be worked with. This this is just going to pour gasoline on the fire on angry conservatives across the country. Meanwhile, progressives who think court packing is terrific, well, now they're frustrated because Nadler wants to do it, and Nancy Pelosi just said, no, no, we can't do this and poured water on the idea. They really, I think, are getting the worst of both worlds by this, and all of it could have been avoided, with just a little bit of better communication to each other. But uh, I guess it's just not their thing, Greg. Or not being insane. That that,
0: that would help too, but that's, (laughs) you know. As I said at the beginning, we have to deal with the world as it is, not the world (laughs) we'd like it to be. Well, Jerry Nadler uh, is not exactly uh, a Mensa candidate here. Remember his uh, inability to even handle a hearing featuring Cory Lewandowski is the reason that uh, Adam Schiff ended up chairing impeachment hearings and not uh, and not the Judiciary Committee, which is normally how that sort of thing is done. But uh, you, you know, you mentioned Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I don't look at it as oh, you should really listen to Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her wisdom on this issue. Although she does have a pretty good argument, it's more along the lines of. Dude, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's a partisan activist justice who happens to still have a little institutional respect, uh, thinks this is a terrible idea. Look how insanely far off the mainstream you are. People talk about the friendship
1: between Ginsburg and uh, the late Justice Antonin Scalia. And I think some of that was, you know, based people like, oh my goodness, they disagree on so many of their decisions. How could they be friends? And part of it is that, you know, your political decisions and your views aren't the the, the end all and be all of everything in the whole wide world. Um, but the other thing that I think is kind of an interesting point is that both of those justices, and I think almost all of the justices that end up on that court, you end up becoming an institutionalist. You end up becoming very invested in the reputation of the Supreme Court and it being seen as something besides another partisan football field uh something beyond will to power and, and we can argue about whether the the mystique of the Supreme Court can get overstated and they are not you know coming down from the mountain with two stone tablets and you know like we, we can argue about whether they really uh, deserve this but they recognize that in our constitutional system, uh, the court has something very special and that if you get too partisan, it ends up losing that. And that's what Ginsburg said. And I kind of feel like, um, you know, if you're wondering why, like would Breyer like to see more progressive minded justices out there? Sure. But he doesn't want to do it if you have to blow up the court's reputation along the way. And he you know, he can recognize there is a bigger principle than I want what I want when I want it. And what's fascinating, Greg, is how little that mentality or how much that mentality has spread all over amongst lots of Americans who really ought
0: to know better. Yeah, and the fact they want to add 4 more is just so cravenly political. That's that that's the number they came up with. But uh, maybe they thought we'd say, "Oh, okay, you can only add 2." Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we're not going to not going to compromise on this one. But uh, anyway, Take it easy, at least on court packing for the moment, and take it easy with a uh, MyPillow, but it's not just the pillows, it's the sheets, it's the towels, but there's also my slippers, which took two years to develop to ensure they're the highest in quality and comfort. And right now, three Martini Lunch listeners can get 40% off on my slippers with the promo code Martini when you go to mypillow.com. My slippers are durable. You can wear them all day,
1: indoors, outdoors. They are beautiful leather suede with cozy faux fur linings and a sole perfectly suited for indoors or outdoors. They have moccasin or slip-on style. They're available in a variety of colors and they have a 60-day money-back guarantee with
0: a one-year limited warranty. I just love these things. I wear them all the time. Three-tier cushioning system. My pillow patented fill. The same stuff from the pillows goes into the the, uh, cushion. There's also a Comfort Memory Foam, and then the patented Impact Gel, which is actually made from soybeans, which is kind of interesting. For a limited time, MyPillow offering 40% off MySlippers. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square, enter the promo code Martini, or call 800-874-0104. And hey, while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and the MyPillow towel sets. You can only save 40% on the new MySlippers, though, with promo code martini so call 800-874-0104 or visit mypillow.com today all right jim as most folks probably know uh fda and cdc putting a pause on the johnson and johnson covid vaccine a couple of days ago yesterday they had their meeting on this uh they did not agree to uh, reactivate and 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 remove that pause now some folks are saying at least seven to ten days before that happens The impact on vaccine trust for Johnson & Johnson has been pretty immediate, though. YouGov out with a new poll showing that Moderna and Pfizer pretty much have the same uh, trust. It's 59 to 18 for Moderna, 58 to 19 for Pfizer. Before the pause, Johnson & Johnson was 52% positive, 26% not uh, confident. And now it's underwater a little bit. 37% have confidence in the J&J vaccine, 39% percent negative. Now, it makes sense that it would be lower than the other two because the efficacy rate is lower. But uh, clearly, uh, the move uh, by the FDA to put the pause on this over those blood clot concerns has had an immediate impact.
1: Yeah. First of all, we should point out the efficacy rate for Johnson & Johnson is lower, but it doesn't mean it's less safe. Right, I mean, the, the idea is that you know this slightly less odds of preventing an infection. The, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, it you know the good news is is that even if it doesn't you know prevent you from getting infected at all or anything noticeable, um, it's still got a really good chances of preventing hospitalization and really really good chances of preventing death. And that's really what we want to prevent here. If you if you catch COVID nineteen and you're in bed for a couple of days and you feel sick, well that, that's bad, but you know that's no different from a usual flu. Lots of people have that. You rebound, you're fine, and you go back to your life as normal. Um, we're a little more worried about, you know, long haulers. So the idea that you have some symptoms that linger long after the initial infection. Um, but Johnson & Johnson should be perfectly effective for all those, for all of that. When this, when the FDA made this decision earlier this week, there was a certain argument that said, um, Jim, Greg, all you guys, all you guys are, are over panicking about this. You're You're overreacting. The FDA's decision to pause using the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is not going to hurt public confidence in the vaccine. It's going to enhance it. People are going to believe, oh, okay, the FDA is careful about this. The FDA isn't going to uh, wave its hands or poo-poo any concerns about potential side effects or uh, significantly, you know, uh, harmful side effects like these blood clots. This is going to, you know, not you know hurt public confidence. It's going to enhance it. Just you wait and see. Well, this poll does not point things in the right direction. This points to the idea of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is, you know, now it's actually kind of underwater a little bit. Uh, I think it's very interesting that the number of people who didn't know, it struck me as the most reasonable <laughs> alteration, in your opinion. If you're like, yeah, before I thought it was, thought it was safe, and now they're reviewing it, and then it's going to take a couple of days to, use this, uh, to do this review. They're not giving people the shots for a while. I, I don't know. That's true. That only went from 22 to 24. It's kind of interesting. It was the the dramatic drop in you know people who thought it was very or somewhat safe from 52 to 37, and uh, you know a, a comparable jump in the very or somewhat unsafe from 26 percent to 39 percent. The FDA is supposed to make a decision, they initially said over a couple of days. Now, I understand they had their meeting yesterday and it did not, it, it was not near universal consensus of, yeah, this is nothing, this is probably coincidental, we can reapprove this thing really fast. It's Thursday, we'll see if news comes Friday, we'll see if news comes the Monday after that. It's possible this pause extends even longer and my suspicion is that the longer it goes, the less likely it is the public is gonna say, oh yeah, this is a fine, fine vaccine. And you might be like, well, look, we still have these other ones, it's fine. Yes, but let's remember the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is the one that doesn't need to be refrigerated as much, which makes it easier to ship, easier to take around, can be much easier to provide to the third world and those folks need to be vaccinated too. And it's the one that you only need one shot. So a lot of people were saying that for any population, like say homeless people, they may be able to come back in three weeks. They may not come back in four In three or four weeks. There's this, this an obvious reason. If you have some reason to think somebody may not be as uh, uh, reliable or, or guaranteed to come back and get that second shot when they should, well, then the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is exactly the one you want. And that doesn't appear to be one that's going to be available for a stretch. Now, the other thing, which is very interesting, is that let's say, we, we discussed earlier in the week the possibility of this is a reaction to the blood clots could very well be caused by... Uh, birth control pills, the blood clots could be, maybe it's a combination of you have the Johnson Johnson vaccine and birth control pills or something like that. It is interesting that none of these reports of blood clots have occurred in men. So you'd like to think, well, if nothing else, we can at least start keeping giving them to men and that will free up other vaccines to use for women where we don't have these sorts of, of concerns. Uh, doesn't appear to be the case here, Greg, and my suspicion is that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine really will not ever recover from this concern uh, and, and my, you know, I, I could, I could insert a Jets joke here, but it's almost too frustrating to, to put that in here. Um, uh, we have a, a vaccine that is, I, I periodically use the phrase perfectly safe. And somebody says, Jim, it's not perfectly safe. Okay. 999,999 and a million, uh, perfectly safe. And we're not going to use it because of excessively overcautious FDA officials.
0: Obviously frustrating, Jim. I think the the one bit of good news we've seen in the last uh, 24 to 48 hours is that Pfizer, I think it was, that's going to bump up their production even more. Don't know if Moderna will be able to follow suit, but uh, uh, even the bump up probably won't cover what J and J was producing. So uh, we'll see what the impact of that is. But we'll have uh, more on the vaccine front uh, in just a moment in our crazy martini, and it once again goes back to my home state of Michigan. But in the meantime, if you need to see clearly on this issue or another, Uh, Maybe you just need new glasses and you can do it online, which is fantastic. And if you've ever worried about whether that process is actually going to get you a good pair of glasses, it certainly gave me a good pair of glasses. Coastal makes it easy. You can browse and try on hundreds of frames virtually without ever leaving your couch. At
1: Coastal.com, you can get prescription glasses starting at $9 with free shipping and 60-day risk-free returns. Plus, they have the most advanced virtual try-on technology that you will find anywhere. You can turn your frames into sunglasses by testing out colored lens tints. Or you can finally see what a cat eye or aviator would really look like on your face right on your phone. With Coastal, you don't have to spend hours at the store or hundreds of dollars to get a new style. Just go to Coastal.com, pick the frames you want, enter your prescription details, and your glasses will arrive in just a few days.
0: Yeah, it really is that simple. It's a good process. I had a chance to get new glasses through Coastal, and one of the reasons I I got those new glasses was because the ones I had gotten through my optometrist just wasn't working right, and even with uh, some adjustments and and having them redo it, uh, it still wasn't quite right. Tried it through Coastal, had this opportunity, figured why not. Turned out absolutely great. No problems whatsoever. And uh, and Coastal's been great. So they have over 2,000 frames to choose from. 24-hour customer support, which Newsweek calls America's best customer service. Also, when you buy a pair of glasses from Coastal, you can donate a pair to someone else in need. So that's great, too. It starts at just $9. And now for a limited time, Coastal offering Three Martini Lunch listeners, the best deal they've got going anywhere. 30% off your first pair of glasses at Coastal.com slash martini. Don't forget that, slash martini. Get free shipping, 60-day risk-free returns, and 30% off at Coastal.com slash martini. Discount applied at checkout. It's only for a limited time, though, and it's spelled C-O-A-S-T-A-L.com slash martini. Some restrictions apply. All right, Jim, let's move on over to Michigan, which is uh, seeing a resurgence in cases to the point that their hospitalization number in recent days actually eclipsed their worst numbers from last spring, which is not where you want to be right now. Over 4,000 COVID positive inpatients. So uh, whether they got it before or after they got to the hospital, that's the number. I'm guessing most of them probably had it before. Uh, But at the same time, curiously enough, the demand for vaccines is falling, and so we've got uh, Steve Hall, health officer for the six County Central Michigan Health Department in the Northern Lower Peninsula says, we have seen the demand wane. We're struggling to fill appointments right now. In the thumb of the state, uh, he said demand has fallen among younger residents as well. A vaccine clinic for 16 and 17-year-olds had to be canceled because, quote, we couldn't fill it. Health officials in northwest Michigan and Calhoun County say demand is slackening there as well. And in Ingham County, that's Lansing, health officer Linda Vale said her county expects the same could occur within a couple of weeks. Uh, We're definitely seeing difficulty filling up our Clinic schedules. So uh Jim, hot air pointing out that this is uh also true in other states, but those other states aren't quite seeing the same kind of numbers. So um uh, folks are just not gonna gonna line up right now.
1: Yeah. So for the first thing is like the the oddity, as we've discussed over the last, you know, two weeks or so, that you know, Michigan, not to pick on your 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 old home state, but like they really are getting hit very hard by this when a lot of other countries aren't, or when a lot of other states aren't. And uh, it's not quite completely statewide but it's pretty high in most counties it looks like the thumb area and in particular you could argue detroit um, are are in really rough shape and and you know no one's terribly shocked to see detroit having uh problems there even if you want to hand wave away the the mayor making that idiotic comment about not wanting the johnson and johnson uh, vaccine which oh by the way people are telling me well see the fda doesn't trust the johnson and johnson vaccine so Thanks a lot, FDA. Um, because the cases are so high, and you know, particularly when compared to, the, compared to the rest of the country, and because hospitalizations are up, and because uh, even their death rate, thankfully, it's not going up quite as much. It's still not looking great. Uh, you, you'd think they'd be like, well, everybody would be rushing out to get their vaccine. They would recognize that, wow, this is, this, the numbers are almost as bad as they were, or in some cases, worse than they were at the previous peak. This is, for whatever reason, Michigan is, is the epicenter of the outbreak in the country right now. And yet you're not seeing this. And in fact, you know, you could say, oh, well, you know, maybe something wrong with Michiganders. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm offended on your behalf, Greg. Um, (laughs) But there's another thing that kind of is jumping out here. So we're still above 3 million doses a day in this country. The average is at this point on the Bloomberg chart is 3.3 million. That's still really good. But I can't help but notice, and again, let's keep in mind, there are occasional quirks in the reporting of the data. Sometimes shipments get, de- you know, get delayed. Sometimes administers get delayed. States are bringing in the, the numbers from every all across their territories, putting it together. Um, which is why, you know, there was like a really nice uh, number on April 10th where they said 4.6 million were administered. are like, oh my God, what were we doing right that day? Well, what it really is is that like some of the ones that are previous days got reported. Maybe that's what's at work. But I can't help but notice, Greg, the last three days, April 12th, that they have here on this map, April 12th, April 13th, April 14th, we've been at 2.6 million after being in a nice consistent you know, 3 million or more. So I'm hoping this is just a delay in the data, but you could see that the sign that maybe we peaked in the number of doses administered per day. And that really shouldn't be happening because most states are uh, gradually or even not so gradually expanding who's eligible. Well, when you expand the pool of who can get a vaccine, you'd expect the lines to be getting longer. You'd expect more people lining up to get, uh, showing up to the the stadiums where they're doing it and the big vaccination drives. You'd expect those appointments would be filling up. You'd expect everybody like, okay, it's finally my turn. I've had to wait for all the senior citizens. I've had to wait for all the people who have uh, uh, other health issues. Finally, I young, healthy American have my turn. And it's an interesting question. Maybe those young, healthy people don't feel all that much need to get uh, vaccinated. Maybe there are lots of people who have had COVID-19 in the past year and they think, ah, that's probably going to give me enough protection. Look, it might. It also might not. And because, you know, the the consequences of getting vaccinated are pretty mild. Some people have sore arms. Some people are tired for a day or two. Uh, Talk to your doctor if you have any concerns. You know, I I actually had uh, a vertigo for a couple hours, like three days after I got my first shot. Laid down for a few hours, woke up, felt fine. But uh, so yeah, you could have dealt with that. But you know, for the for getting vaccinated and no longer worried about getting COVID nineteen and having a serious reaction, it's worth it, right? So you'd think more and more people would be going out there. And you know, maybe what we're seeing in Michigan is the beginning of the edge of the the demand problem. Um, I kind of got frustrated earlier a couple months ago when you kept seeing the Biden administration saying we're all these other groups in society, nonprofits saying we're getting our our, our uh, public service announcements ready. And I kept saying, most people you know, who really, really want to get vaccinated couldn't find appointments. It was not a demand problem. It was a supply problem. You guys are taking too long to get you know, the shots out to people. Well, now it looks like we've solved that problem. Now it looks like there are many more opportunities to get that shot. And now maybe the demand isn't there. And we're trying to get to herd immunity. Nobody knows exactly what you know, percentage is going to require to get that. I keep reminding people, it's generally, it's like a dimmer switch. It's not on, off. We're not going to have a magic day where all of a sudden, poof, we hit 80%. We're fine. You know? You're know, you going to see the virus spread more slowly. It seems pretty clearly we're now in the race against these variants. So if anything, you'd like to see these numbers in Michigan really go up high for that. And it doesn't appear to be the case. You're seeing some ominous reports across the country. Folks, we've been making really good
0: progress. This is not the time to let our foot off the gas pedal. Wow. Well, we'll certainly keep tracking the numbers there. Uh, hopefully, uh, Michigan does better here in the weeks ahead. Jim, uh, quick breaking news. They had a press conference in front of the Supreme Court anyway to talk about this legislation that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, Jerry Nadler saying they're not packing the Supreme Court, we're unpacking it because, of course, the Neil Gorsuch seat. And the uh, Amy Coney Barrett seat are truly uh, seats that should have been filled by Barack Obama and Joe Biden, respectively, in the minds of Democrats. And the fact that many of them actually believe this gaslighting uh, tells you what a troubled spot we're in right now.
1: You know what I love, Greg? Court packing is infrastructure. Words have no meaning anymore. Yes. Here's the thing. It. If you put somebody on the Supreme Court through the, the methods that are laid out under the Constitution, then it's not court packing. That's uh, right. It's not like every time, you know, uh, Roberts decides to go on vacation and he puts stuff in a suitcase. That is not court packing, people. You can't just
0: redefine these terms to mean whatever you want. Let's go through this very quickly one more time. If the Democrats were in the position the Republicans were in 2016, they would have done the exact same thing. And if they were in the position Republicans were last year, they would have done the exact same thing. So let's, let's not pretend anything else. Jim, have a great day. We'll talk again tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Tell your friends about us. We're so grateful for those five-star ratings and your kind reviews. They really do help us. Also, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday. And please join us Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. There is so much going on in the news. The crisis at the southern border continues. The trial of Derek Chauvin is officially started. And the cargo ship stuck in the Suez Canal has finally been freed. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.